back to the Deeper Dive podcast, Catechism of the Catholic Church, in a year. Today is day number 283, and we begin with number 2150. The second commandment forbids false oaths. Taking an oath or swearing is to take God as witness to what one affirms. It is to invoke the divine truthfulness as a pledge of one's own truthfulness. An oath engages the Lord's name. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and swear by his name. Rejection of false oaths is a duty toward God. As creator and Lord, God is the norm of all truth. Human speech is either in accord with or in opposition to God, who is truth himself. When it is truthful and legitimate, an oath highlights the relationship of human speech with God's truth. A false oath calls on God to be witness to a lie. A person commits perjury when he makes a promise under oath with no intention of keeping it, or when after promising an oath, he does not keep it. Perjury is a grave lack of respect for the Lord of all speech. Pledging oneself by oath to commit an evil deed is contrary to the holiness of the divine name. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus explained the second commandment. You have heard that it was said to the men of old, You shall not, fi- you shall not swear falsely but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not swear at all. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Jesus teaches that every oath involves a reference to God and that God's presence and his truth must be honored to all speech. Discretion in calling upon God is allied with a respectful awareness of his presence which all our assertions either witness to or mock. Following St. Paul, the tradition of the church has understood Jesus' words as not excluding oaths made for grave and right reasons, for example, in court. An oath that is the invocation of the divine name as a witness to truth cannot be taken unless in truth, in judgment, and in justice. The holiness of the divine name demands that we neither use it for trivial matters not take an oath which on the basis of the circumstances could be interpreted as approval of an authority unjustly, unjustly requiring it. When an oath is required by illegitimate civil authorities, it may be refused. It must be refused when it is required for purposes contrary to the dignity of persons or to ecclesial communion. The sacrament of baptism is conferred in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In baptism, the Lord's name sanctifies man, and the Christian receives his name in the church. This can be the name of a saint, that is, of a disciple who has lived a life of exemplary fidelity to the Lord. The patron saint provides a model of charity. We are assured of his intercession. The baptismal name can also express a Christian mystery or Christian virtue. Parents, sponsors, and the pastor are to see that a name is not given which is foreign to Christian sentiment. The Christian begins his day, his prayers, and his activities with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The baptized person dedicates the day to the glory of God and calls on the Savior's grace, which lets him act in the Spirit as a child of the Father. The sign of the cross strengthens us in temptations and difficulties. God calls each one by name. Everyone's name is sacred. The name is the icon of the person. It demands respect as the sign of dignity of the one who bears it. 
The name one receives is a name for eternity. In the kingdom, the mysterious and unique character each person marked with God's name will shine forth in splendor. To whom who conquers, I will give a white stone with a new name written on the stone, which no one knows except him who receives it. Then I looked, and lo, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him a hundred and forty thousand who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Father Larry. All right, so this uh, sort of the continuation of the Second Commandment, ending of it actually, in terms of the catechesis, is uh, we kind of jump into perjury. Uh, I've mentioned it, but this is a very serious sin, is when a person commits perjury is when a person makes a promise under oath with no intention of keeping it. All right, so I think this is uh, the the time where this would be uh, relevant is like when you're in court, and I'm not sure if that's really what they do anymore. I, I can't, I haven't been in court in a while, <laughs> uh, but they, you know, you would, if you take the witness stand, you would, it used to be, you would uh, put your hand on the Bible and swear to God that you would say uh, the truth and nothing but the truth. So I hope you got it. And, uh, so it was, a, it's a very serious sin to do so and lie or have no intention of telling the truth. So we have to avoid perjury, which is lying. Uh, uh, you know, we do this out of res- uh, respect for the Lord of all speech. And, and then also our Lord will tell us in the Bible, you have heard of men said of old, you should not swear falsely or perform the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not swear at all. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And this part of the certain amount basically means this, is that we really should never have to swear to God about anything. I mean, our life and our words should be trustworthy. People should not sort of mistrust us in such a way they make us swear, you know, in general, and that we are a person that tells the truth. Um and then it kind of goes into this, uh, it talks about the holiness of God's name, demands we you don't use it for trivial matters. We talked about this, but um, but it, it, it also goes on to uh, say that, um, you know, that the, the name of Christ is, is also a very uh, powerful uh, uh, sort of uh, protection against temptation. And I've got a quote from St. Bernard, and he says, if the soul of anyone is afflicted in trouble, let him pronounce the name of Jesus, and immediately the tempest will cease and peace will return. So we're known, once again, that the, it's, it has great power. And this last section, it talks about the Christian name. And, um, you know, obviously this, I don't mean to step on people's toes here, but, you know, the question is when you, I mean, if, you know, when you name your child, it used to be the tradition is that you would name the child in uh, after, you know, someone who, Christian importance, namely a saint or, you know, someone, you know, it's usually a Christian name that you gave them. And I think we've, in a more paganized culture, even within the Catholic church, you, you know, some of the parents will kind of name their kids all kinds of things like starlight and, you know, symbol and these types of things. I mean, I've, I've heard, you know, I'm saying, you know, that's very popular, but in, in secular culture, I mean, we see a lot of names that just really have nothing to do with the Christian, with any Christian sentimentality. I know the older priest, uh, one in particular, <laughs> this old Irish priest I know, he actually refused to do the baptism of a child until the parents changed the name because <laughs> he said it was pagan. I don't know if I would go that far. Uh, that takes a lot of courage. But um, but I, I think his point was, is, you know, he can't, you grow up knowing that you're supposed to, at least the middle name has to be uh, remotely Christian. So, you know, when you're choosing a name, don't do so haphazardly because it's also the name that we will bring to heaven in which our, our, um, will be written in the book of life, as it says in the book of Revelation. 